0: Talk to my friend, Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I this guy for wisdom.
1: Well, 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 what do we know? What do we have here? Joe Biden apparently is going to make a visit to Maui on Monday. So he's made the big announcement. He is actually going to go to Maui. Now, he hasn't been to East Palestine, Ohio yet, despite promising to do so in the past. It's been, I don't know how many months since the East Palestine uh, explosion uh, and derailment. But anyway, he's going to Maui. Now, I'm sure this is pretty easy for him. Joe Biden, they probably had to tell him in his stage five dementia you know, look, we're we're, we're just, we're going to go to Rehoboth. You know, they'll tell him he's in Delaware at his vacation home because Maui has a beach. So anyway, so he couldn't go to East Palestine. No, no, no. But, you know, Maui's got beaches. And maybe he's going to look at real estate. Who knows? Maybe he's already having Hunter on the, on the prowl, talking to some of his Chinese or Ukrainian cohorts at Burisma, and they're figuring out how to do this uh, land deal stealing from the native Hawaiians now. You know that's happening, right? None of this is conspiracy anymore. You know, I hope that more and more of you, if you haven't already, are really waking up to the battle we faced, we face currently, and just how evil and diabolical these people are, just how much they collude. Nothing's by accident. Um, I mean, this is top-down authoritarian government, and they use the media, of course, to shape the narrative. Now, here's, here's this headline. And look, we got a lot to get into. I'm actually starting with the lighter stuff. I've got a few clips to play. I'm going to talk about DeSantis, why he's tanking further. He was just surpassed by Chris Christie in New Hampshire. I mean, DeSantis is like the worst political candidate in, in American history. I mean, he's running a campaign worse than Hillary Clinton, worse than any Democrat I've ever seen. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. And I know some of you like DeSantis, Um, but I'll give you my theories and they're not really theories. They're platitudes of truth about what's going on with DeSantis there and why he's a failure and why I don't like him. Um, anyway, more on that in a second, obviously the indictments and all that. So Maui, perfect storm, right? In terms of weather and temperature and so on and so forth. They're blaming, by the way, no surprise here, I suppose, they are blaming the electrical company. They're saying a down power line caused the fire. Now, I'm just going to tell you I don't believe that. I have no reason to believe that's true. Uh, this type of thing gets reported all the time, and then a year or two or three later we find out that actually it was arson or something else. Something else that's very odd that's happening, Captain. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't have any trust for the FBI. If the FBI is on the scene, they're working to cover something up for Democrats. And the FBI, oddly enough, is on the ground in Maui. Now, their stated purpose is they're bringing a portable morgue, right? Because there are so many dead bodies and many dead bodies that they haven't even un- uncovered yet. I mean, it's like COVID, right? You got to send the ship over there off this, the coast of New York to treat patient, patients and so on. Well, they've got to bring uh, a portable morgue because they don't have room for storing the bodies. <clears throat> now, I assume that's true. You know, and that's horrific. I mean, that's how disgusting and despicable the situation is. And, you know, what we should be having, of course, is an investigation into what exactly happened here. The many failures that the government in Hawaii is responsible for and the local authorities that created this outcome. There were reports of water being shut off while Hawaiians were prepared to fight the fire people are on record. I've seen these videos, people saying, we thought we had it under under control until our water shut off. The police inexplicably, some people that were living there, like obviously this is me reporting what the Hawaiians have said, uh, the police weren't permitting people to drive away. They had roadblocks set up. So they were confining these people, forcing them essentially to stay in this zone. And most importantly, the biggest failure of all is what? The emergency siren system, alert system did not go off. Now they test this thing. I think it's monthly, but anyway, the point is like any tornado system, I grew up in Texas, we had a tornado system set up and you'd hear those sirens going off all the time. It was a pain in the butt. Believe me, it was so loud, but they had to make sure they worked right. It's like routine maintenance. If you're going to have this emergency system set up for an emergency, you got to make sure it's, it's going to work when an emergency comes. Well, Hawaii had like the best system set up on the planet. And it's worked every single time they run a test and inexplicably, it didn't go off. The authorities didn't turn on the sirens for this. So a lot of Hawaiians were depending on that to let them know that they needed to flee, for example, but it didn't go off. So that's why you have all these dead bodies because the authorities failed the Hawaiians. They didn't alert them. They let them sit there as a fire approached, and burn them alive. That's what happened here. You saw the images of these people that were jumping into the sea off of the coast there in Lahaina. Unbelievable. So anyway, so they sent the FBI in to assist, to assist. I don't trust them. Why is the FBI there? Let's just, you know, they they just want us to forget about this. Just move on. It's done, right? It's done. Just sell your property to the state. Give up, give it up to us. Let us develop it, sell it to the elites, and just remember—you know, this was just—it was both climate change and it was also because an electric company had a felled power line. So just move on. Nothing to see here. It's like COVID. I mean, there is no reason to trust our government ever. I mean, it's amazing the the credibility gap, the disparity. I don't trust. I mean, and that's—I mean, it's a dangerous situation we're in, but it's—it's it's the fact. They've lied to us about everything for so long, especially when it's significant. Why are they telling the truth now? They don't deserve our respect. They don't deserve us to give them any kind of benefit of the doubt at this point. And I'll tell you why. Here we go. So horrific fire, right? Destroys Lahaina. Now, this is some of the most expensive, valuable real estate in the world, right? And the Hawaiians, I mean, Lahaina, I think, was like the one-time capital of Hawaii right before we bought it you know or whatever I mean that's how that's how important and significant Lahaina is to Hawaiians and so anyway so you've got this Democrat governor Josh Green who's announced that his administration is considering acquiring properties in the seaside resort town of Lahaina that had been destroyed now of course under this guise he says he wants to prevent foreign buyers from swooping in to exploit the tragedy, right? So he's gonna exploit the tragedy himself on behalf of his little cohorts. Isn't it amazing, these people, how sick and diabolical they are? So here, I'm already thinking of ways for the states to acquire that land so that we can put it into workforce housing, to put it back into family. back in, It already belonged to families or make it open spaces in perpetuity as a memorial to the people who were lost. That's right, let's just put a 9-11 memorial type memorial in Lahaina now. And you can just, you know, remember what you used to have before the state took it from you. You can walk in the state park now where your home used to be or your business was. You're welcome. You didn't know you'd have it this good. This wildfire was the best thing that could have ever happened to you. We released you. We released you of your responsibility of home ownership, of being a business owner. And now you just have to find a job in the new resort we're building right here. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can sell your flip-flops at the latest Hyatt. So anyway, so the point is he's got big plans for Lahaina. And those big plans are irrelevant if you're somebody who lost your business or home. It doesn't include you. You just need to stand by and watch. It's going to be a very long time before any growth or housing can be built. So you will be pretty poorly informed if you try to steal land from our people and then build here. I will try to allow no one from outside our state to buy any land until we get through the crisis. And decide what Lahaina should be in the future. Why should Lahaina not just be what it was in the past? Why does Lahaina need to be something different in the future, right? They're always reimagining things. America, forget our past, right? We need to reimagine our future under Marxism, under this dictatorship. It's so beautiful. Communism, right here in America. America does everything better. We take Chinese food and we make it better. We're gonna take Marxism and make it better. We're gonna take slavery and we're gonna make you enjoy it. You've never had slavery. Like you're gonna have under the despotic Biden administration regime. But this is crazy. I mean, over 2,000 structures were destroyed, three quarters of which were residential. So when he talks about workforce housing, you know, he's talking about putting up a bunch of uh, apartments. Like they're trying to do in California and elsewhere where there's zoning laws, right? They don't want you to have any private ownership anymore. That's called equity, by the way. Equity. This is equity. You take the lowest common denominator and force everyone above that to go down to that level, right? So if you got one poor person and 100 rich people, you got to make sure everyone is as poor as that one poor person. You don't lift that poor person up to be wealthy or even moderately wealthy or successful. You got to make sure that everyone's equally poor. No middle class. No upper class, no opportunity for improvement because that's not fair. Capitalism is not fair because some people are more successful than others. So we got to make sure that everyone faces the exact same hardship. That's right. We got to punish the wealthy because that's a crime. And you didn't build that yourself as Barack Obama reminded us. Our first gay president. How about that? Such an enlightened individual. All right, so let's move on to some other things here. Look, you know, I've been harping about this for a long time. I, you know, I just... I I am really trying my best. Look, I'm, I'm spending time reflecting. and am spending time uh, in prayer as well. Some of you may not care about that if you're not religious or spiritual. But, like, it's very important to me in this time in our history that I'm a straight shooter. And I really do take this very seriously. Uh, I'm not a loose cannon, I speak honestly and freely, but you know, I want to be somebody who's able to guide here and not mislead. And obviously every episode revolves around me maintaining your trust and that's very important to me. And so I've mentioned things that in a Another period many years ago might have seemed like hyperbole, right? I talk about civil war. I talk about the prospect of some kind of revolution. Not because I want it to take place, not, not because it's something that I, but it's because I, I understand and study history and I see what's happening here. And I'm warning you of the danger we face if we don't step up together and make our voices heard and back it up with some action as well. And I've said a lot of times, it's time for you, many of you, to become uncomfortable. It's time to get out of your comfort zones and meet the moment. It's time to be what our ancestors were for us, right? It's time to step up, accept a responsibility, because sometimes Americans are called to save the country. And it's not every generation faces the same obstacle, You know, not every generation had the American Revolution. Not everyone had the Civil War, obviously. Thank God those are infrequent. But I've talked about what we're facing right now with these indictments and this political persecution of Donald Trump, the elimination of elections, this raw power grab in which they're mocking us laughing in our faces by demonstrating to us that we are powerless, that's the message we're supposed to get from this, and there's nothing we can do, because they own the power apparatus in America. That's the message they're trying to send with Donald Trump. It's about power. We have all the power and you have none. So get in line. I mean, to hear Hillary Clinton on with Rachel Maddow yesterday or the day before, after the Trump latest Trump indictments, joyously, jubilantly celebrating what was happening to Trump, talking about how this was justice, when she's somebody who questioned the 2016 election results and actually came up with, developed a coup, Trump-Russia occlusion to oust a duly elected president. But there she is on TV reminding you that she's above the law. They're doing this on purpose. Some of it's psychological warfare. And I'm here to tell you to be strong. I'm here to tell you to really take care of your mind, body, and spirit right now because you're going to hear a lot of things and there are mind games going on. There's manipulation happening and what you can do and what I can do. And the only thing we can do is find the North star and keep staring at it. Principle is the only thing. And it is, and there are, it's like, it's like when Lincoln said this nation will become all one thing or another. It can't be both half slave and half free, right? There was no room for any kind of reaching across the aisle. And it's the same situation today. There is no moderation in what I'm talking about. You just have to stick with what is right and true and virtuous. And that'll come into play in a little bit and you'll understand why I'm prefacing with this in a moment. But the reason I am talking about Civil War, Revolution again, And maybe many people of you have said, man, I'm really tired of hearing you talk about that, Drew. I don't like where that goes. I think you're exaggerating. That's not true. Well, Newt Gingrich was very brave, I thought. And you know me. I mean, I really respect Newt. I like Newt. I don't always agree with Newt. But he was on with Hannity. Cue up, cut one, Captain. I want you to hear what Newt Gingrich had to say about what the Democrats are doing and what you and I are involved in, whether we want to be or not, in this moment in American history. Go ahead and play cut one, Captain. Go.
0: Your reaction to that part of it?
2: Well, I think what you're seeing tonight is one tree in a forest. And I think we are drifting towards the greatest constitutional crisis since the 1850s, Uh, and the rise of secession and the Civil War. I don't mean that as hyperbole. Uh, If you read Andy McCarthy's remarkable book, Ball of Collusion, which came out in 2019, he makes very clear that it is Barack Obama who corrupts the Justice Department. It is Hillary Clinton who routinely breaks the law and gets away with it. And now we have Joe Biden who's learned. He's learned from Obama that... Doesn't matter what you do, if you're a liberal Democrat, you will not be prosecuted. He learned from Hillary that a person in high public office can get millions and millions of dollars. And they learned from watching Donald Trump that a true outsider willing to take on the entire system could destroy their entire machine. So what you're seeing across the country is a desperate last-ditch effort by a corrupt machine to destroy their most dangerous opponent in a way which not only breaks the Constitution, destroys the rule of law, and establishes a moment of bitterness, uh, which I think will last for a generation or more. I think this is going to be a horrendous period, and we just need to understand. The people who want to control America and dictate to the rest of us will break any law Lie about any topic and manipulate the system any way they can, and that includes a lot of the elite news media.
1: Let me. The media is central to these despots' ambitions. The media wants you to believe. And never Trumpers want you to believe who view Donald Trump's dropping out of the race or imprisonment. They view that as necessary for them to have success themselves. One of the talking points, and it's a lie, and I'll prove it's a lie in a moment. We need to put this to rest. I am calling on Rational, sane Americans to use their brains? Okay? To come to the realization that it is fundamental and imperative that we support Donald Trump as the nominee. That we don't get weak-kneed and abandon him because of what the Never Trumpers are telling us and what some of the media mouthpieces are telling us. And what they're telling us, which is a mind game, is what we've heard for a long time. Many of you have heard this. The Democrats are indicting Donald Trump. They're persecuting Donald Trump because they want to ensure that he's the Republican nominee because they think he's the easiest to beat. It makes no sense on any intellectual level. It's like the 40 chess people talk about. It's like so bad, it's good. And you want to think, oh, wow, there's something to that. The Democrats are trying to prevent Trump from running for office because they want to face him in the in the election. But wait a minute. But if they prevent him from running, how can he run? Do you understand how stupid this is that people are putting out there? It's not true. It's not true. This idea that the Democrats think that Trump is the easiest to beat is not true. They fear the crap out of Donald Trump because they fear you and me. And they're hoping that by putting this out there, they make you lose focus and they make you abandon Trump. It's the reverse. It's the reverse. Do you understand the mind game they're playing here? Donald Trump can beat them because Donald Trump beat them in 2020, but they cheated and stole the election. They don't want us to say that. They don't want us to admit that. We're not supposed to talk about that. Democrats stole the election. Now, I want to say something else here too. What does it mean to steal an election, right? They accuse Trump of trying to steal an election. We accuse them of trying to steal an election. What the accusation is, is they're trying to win. Politics, blood sport. It's about winning elections. The difference is Democrats don't have any virtue. They aren't bound by law. They aren't bound by morality. So they will do anything it takes to win, right? So they can accuse Trump in 2016 of colluding with the Russians to steal the election. That's just fine, right? He stole it from them. How? Well, we won. Now it's not quite the same because their tactics and what they've done, they committed fraud, okay? And there are so many instances of this. And just to tell you what a farce, again, this Georgia indictment is, trying to get him on RICO charges where basically questioning the election result, having any conversation about trying to win the election, because that's what we're trying to do, right? If you break it down, what was was the 2020 contested election about? Donald Trump meeting with... It was about winning. It was about trying to win. And I've got two points here. Alan Dershowitz, God bless him right now. He wrote a piece. He says Al Gore, his legal team, and I talking about himself, Alan Dershowitz, tried to find uncounted presidential votes, lobbied officials and fought in the courts in 2000. He's talking about Bush versus Gore, right? The only difference now, the candidate's name is Donald Trump. Electoral challenges are part of American history. But only now are they being criminalized. And and Dershowitz says, I was one of the lawyers involved in objections in Florida's presidential vote in 2000. By the current standards that are being applied in Georgia, the lawless standard, Alan Dershowitz should be in prison. Al Gore should be in prison. Stacey Abrams should be in prison. Hillary Clinton should be in prison. Now, the Georgia indictments, right, they're focused on Donald Trump after the media... After the media declared Joe Biden the winner, well, he met and strategized about how to resolve this, how to deal with the fraud that he believed was out there, how to still win the election. Do you know the lawyer, Mark Elias, he looks like Jabba the Hutt. He's got 36 chins, more chins than anyone that's ever seen. I mean, you know, he's not quite as fat as Chris Christie, but he's got more chins than Chris Christie. He is a marvel to behold, an anatomical disgrace But Mark Elias who was involved in the Trump Russia collusion hoax intimately he 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 quit the Perkins Coie law firm as soon as this was getting news right so this guy tried to save his own aws by getting out of there when he was intimately involved with this Mark Elias is a crook he's a crook but he is a powerful esteemed Democrat lawyer who gets paid millions and millions of dollars. And he's the leading attack dog of Democrats to fix elections for Democrats. And he does that with lawsuits, right? So he'll go sue states, red states in court that want to, for example, require signature verification. My point is before I get to this particular article, is that what, what, what they're indicting Trump over is happening all the time, before elections, during elections, after elections. You're trying to win. Everyone's trying to steal the election in that sense. Everyone's trying to win. The way the Democrats do it, they raise a bunch of money from George Soros, they call it a nonpartisan organization, they lie, and they go and register 5 million new voters. That's what the Democrats do. They're meeting behind closed doors with candidates with their different think tanks, doing what? Thinking about how to steal the next election, right? They're trying to win. It's no different. But here's Mark Elias. It's 2023, Captain, last I checked, right? It's 2023, Anno Domini, year of our Lord, 2023. Well, Mark Elias is still involved in a lawsuit regarding the outcome of an election from 2020 in uh, where is this? Well, I'll read this and hopefully it tells me. There's no way this author left this out. Oh, it was, it was an Iowa House seat, right? Iowa House seat. So a Republican incumbent won this seat in 2020. And Mark Elias uh, has been helping Democrats in their bid to overturn the results of this Iowa seat, right? They're trying to give it to the Democrats. So according to Politico, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, ooh, they're paying Mark Elias, aka job of the hut, fat man 36-chin boy, to represent the campaign of Rita Hart, a Democrat who lost by six votes to Representative Marionette Miller-Marks. Hart, the loser, has appealed to Congress to adjudicate the outcome of the election after state officials declared Miller marks the winner Hart claims that Iowa officials failed to count 2020, 20, 20, sorry, Hart claims that Iowa officials failed to count 22 ballots that would have swayed the election in her favor. Oh my God. Lock her up, right? Captain. And she's working with Mark Elias to try and over they're trying to steal this house seat three years after the state. I mean, Do you realize we're losing our country folks? Do you realize what's happening right now? The Democrats are currently right now involved in this suit three years afterward, and they want to throw Trump in prison for doing the same thing, except actually less. So house Democrats, they will have significant control over the appeals process, raising concerns. You see, they will do and corrupt anything to win. Winning is the only objective for Democrats. If it means arresting and indicting and throwing the GOP political candidate in prison, they'll do it. If it means killing you, they'll do it. If it means lying to you about the Inflation Reduction Act in order to bamboozle you into forcing the transition away from fossil fuels to, elect, to you know whatever, renewable energy, windmills, electric batteries, They'll do it. You're dealing with evil. We are staring evil in the face, and how do you deal with something like that? Just think about it. Think about it for the whole episode. How do you deal with that? What are you? What are we supposed to do here? So anyway, I mean, Elias has done this before. He 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 doesn't lose often, unfortunately, but he did lose, uh, suffer one major loss during the 2020 election cycle. He represented the campaign for Ted Brindisi an incumbent Democrat who challenged his loss to Claudia Tenney in a New York house race. Now, what did Elias allege? That irregularities in voting machines switched votes from Brindisi to Tenney. Elias, the Democrat attack dog lawyer, who spends his entire life litigating all around the country to steal elections, he has alleged in 2020 that voting machines switched votes from the Democrat to the Republican and that's why the Democrat lost this is happening I'm losing it captain I'm trying to hold to yeah I just is it is it is it like crystal clear yet captain is my voice being made heard peacefully and patriotically great next voice is the violent one no I'm just kidding all right But, you know, I, let me just, let's just continue with Alan Dershowitz for a second. He makes a lot of great points here. Um, he says, I represented the voters of Palm Beach County, many of whom voted by mistake for Pat Buchanan rather than Gore because of the infamous butterfly ballots and hanging chads that prevented their votes from being accurately counted. During the course of our challenges, many tactics similar to those employed in 2020 were attempted. Lawyers wrote legal memoranda outlining possible courses of conduct Including proposing a slate of alternate electors, which they're now calling fake electors, right? They used to be called alternate electors. Now they're just changing the language to make you think that there's something wrong with it, that it's illegal when it's actually a lawful process. So he proposed a slate of alternate electors who were going to deliver his preferred election results to Congress. I just gotta tell you, I get that it's difficult in this time and day and age because you got neighbors out there that are buffoons. They're uplifted because they watch CNN and the CNN tells them that you're the monster and they're geniuses. But I gotta tell you, you gotta gain some confidence and you gotta learn to look at your neighbor and your friend or whatever in the face and just tell them they're idiots. You gotta stand your ground because we sit here and we wanna be polite and nice and they don't give a hill of beans about how your feelings. I go through and look at these comments on Twitter sometimes, Captain, and these people are sick perverts. If you got thrown in jail, if your whole family was killed or firebombed in the name of justice, if, 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 if the Democrats put out some hit story saying, hey, you, you, know, you contested the 2020 election results and you're a bad person and you're MAGA, and they blew up your house, they'd deprive you of a funeral. I'd celebrate your death. This is not hyperbole. This is happening in the country. I'm telling you that more and more Americans on that side of things, this is how they are. I'm not telling you how I want it to be. I'm not telling you how we should be. I am just telling you that there are a lot of people, and many of them are in government, right? The Joe Bidens, the Hillary Clintons, the Clinton Body Count Initiative. How many people has she had killed? just one of those episodes, Captain. There's no holding back. All right. So I'm going to read you the opinion of, in my humble, professional, brilliant opinion, the morons amongst us, how they think about Trump, right? This is a Republican. I'm presenting you an opinion that I'm about to take a dump on. This guy's name is Dan McLaughlin. Never heard of him. Maybe somebody. I don't care. He's not very smart. I'll tell you that. But anyway, you see, and this is the thing, Captain. Within our own party with these types of people, the, the true never-Trumpers. Now, if you like DeSantis, fine. It's not what I'm talking about. You'll get where I'm coming from in a moment. You'll get what I'm, what I'm attacking. But this person is more dangerous than the Democrats. And that's why I talk with such lack of respect for Dan McLaughlin here, because he's part of the problem, right? Well, here's the headline. Criminal defendants make terrible candidates. The GOP must free itself from Trump. Now this is the same piece of excrement that has existed in the Republican party since the era of Reagan. This is the never Reagan type, right? The person who longed for a time, longed for return to the days of the moderate Republicans that did nothing but vote for Democrats and pretend to be the opposition party so that the nation continued to move in perpetuity towards the left, towards tyranny. Okay, this is who this is. This is the person, the same embodiment of the people that during Reagan's presidency in the Republican Party said We can't wait for Reagan to be gone because after he's gone, we're taking back the Republican Party and there's going to be no natural place. This is their words. There will be no natural place for you, the Reaganites, in the new Republican Party. Do you understand what these people are trying to do? We have a war within our own party. And Trump represents success because he actually won. And this guy represents Mitt Romney and John McCain. So he goes on, he, Donald Trump is now under indictment for, in four different jurisdictions over three different controversies. He faces 91 felony charges in New York, Atlanta, Miami, and Washington, D.C. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, you know, many, if not all, are driven by partisan politics and animus towards Trump, right? So he's acknowledging that these are BS charges. But then he says, even if you think that's unfair, it's reality. Criminal defendants make bad candidates. So he goes through this litany of things. He says, if you want to win, you don't just ignore problems you think are unfair. And he goes on to point out things like, you know, Trump can't win because he's hated by half the country. He's disliked by more than that. You know, I'm going to push back on this. Trump got what? captain, like 11, 12 million more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016? What does that tell you about Trump's popularity? That he's less popular or more popular? He's more popular. And if you really believe that Joe Biden got 15 million real votes, 15 million more real votes than Barack Obama got, You're living in fantasy land. I mean, I I talked about Gateway Pundit, that story the other day about what happened. You had basically, talk about RICO, organized crime set up in these swing states funded by Democrats to go and register fake voters. I mean, I can show you video after video of duplicate ballots being counted in these swing states. I mean, you want to talk about finding the votes? I mean, you want to to explain to me in some, you know, we're not supposed to talk about any of this stuff, right? Oh, they just mysteriously quit counting in the middle of the night while Trump was ahead. And the next day, mysteriously, Joe Biden pulls ahead. What do you think they were doing? Why do you think they paused for six? What were those six hours? Were the people resting at home, right? We gotta get sleep. You think the poll workers went home and were sleeping? No, because we saw like in Atlanta, they didn't go home, right? The Republican observers went home, but the Democrat counters, they kept working diligently all night, right? Pulling those things out from under the thing. And we're just told this is normal. This is normal. No, nothing about it was normal. It was a scheme. And you know what? They want to get, they got, they got like Donald Trump's Twitter direct messages and stuff now. I want to see, Captain, I want to see the communications on Twitter, on cell phones, on emails, between the Biden campaign and Atlanta, Georgia Democrats. I want to see the communication that went on for the months preceding the election. Huh? You know, they wanna they wanna dig into Trump stuff to say, oh, how much was he talking about a plan to steal to Why don't we look at what the Democrats were doing? You think there are communications out there that might suggest what they were actually up to? You think there's some communication out there, phone call happening to coordinate all of this? You think there's some kind of email between Zucker and these swing state Democrat uh, leaders in these different districts who were getting that money and then spending it all to erect drop boxes? There was coordination across the board. Where's that communication? That's the communication I want to see. If you want to talk about stealing an election, let's look at the Democrat private emails, the private direct messages on Twitter, not Trump's. If they have nothing to hide, let's see it. But it's just sick because, you know, these never-Trumpers are blaming Trump for his situation. You know what I mean? It's like, he'll be in and out of courtrooms for months instead of campaigning. No kidding. That's the point of this, right? It's to prevent Donald Trump from being able to campaign. So Donald Trump can't win, but the Democrats want to prevent Donald Trump from campaigning. If he's so easy to beat, right? If Donald Trump's the guy that's easy to beat, Captain, why prevent him from doing anything at all? Isn't he his own worst enemy? That's what these never Trumpers are telling me. Trump's his own worst enemy. He opens his mouth. Okay, well, let's let him open his mouth, huh? Unleash him. Let him run. Don't you get it? 2024. Trump can't run again. 2024 is his last chance to run for president. He's not going to be able to run four years after that. Then then everyone will be saying he's too old. But he can run effectively in 2024. We see his energy. We see the sharpness of his mind. We see the fire in his belly. So this is nonsense. But these guys need you to ditch Trump Because they need their guy to take the slot. Because you know what? Currently, Donald Trump boasts a 41 point lead, one week ahead of the Republican, a 41 point lead. And meanwhile, you know what else is going on? Chris Christie surpasses DeSantis in New Hampshire. Trump is 40 points ahead. So Chris Christie has overtaken DeSantis for second place. And he's still 40 points behind Trump. Trump is the guy. We're wasting our time. We're wasting our resources. We're wasting our energy playing this game, telling ourselves that Trump can't win, fighting amongst ourselves, telling us, oh, maybe we should support Chris Christie or DeSantis or someone else. DeSantis is a loser. Loser. DeSantis, and again, I used, I liked DeSantis. But what he's become is unrecognizable to me. The DeSantis 2024 presidential campaign is the 2016 Never Trumper campaign. The same people that were never Trump in 2016 have all signed up for Ron DeSantis. And that's why I have a problem with the DeSantis campaign. The DeSantis campaign isn't really about I mean obviously it's not running about a good campaign or an efficient campaign or getting messaging out there it's not it's just an attack dog for Donald Trump now and every single influencer out there paid by the DeSantis camp their whole job is to spread lies about Donald Trump and and I will tell you why if you know if DeSantis if DeSantis would come out and meet this moment in history by denouncing in the harshest terms what's happening to Trump. If he would have the courage, the humility, the grace, the principle to actually address Trump, say it by name and say what they're doing to Trump has never happened in our history before. It's going to destroy the country. He won't say it. And why won't he say it? Because he wants Trump gone. Because he is so far behind, just like every other Republican, no one has the nomination but Trump. And the only way they can get the nomination or have a chance is for Trump to be taken out of the race. So cue up cut two. This is Ron DeSantis on Laura Ingram. And if you think, Drew, you're nasty, you're mean, why are you hating DeSantis so much? I don't like where this is going. I disagree with you. Well, I want you to listen to Laura Ingram. Ask DeSantis, push back on this question and his response when he's being asked about what's happening. Well, this is a lie about the deep state. Donald Trump didn't, uh, didn't drain the swamp like he said he was, as if Ron DeSantis was gonna drain the swamp. I'm so sick of this. No respect whatsoever. But go ahead and play cut two, Captain, and then I'll comment. And I'll, and I'll tell you why this has me over the, over the edge and done with DeSantis. Do you think that if Trump were to win, that he wouldn't fire Ray or wouldn't try to reform the FBI. It seems like he has a, a personal interest in really doing that at this point. No. Well, he had three years to fire Christopher Ray and he didn't fire him. And remember, I went to the rallies in 2016, Laura. You remember them? Uh, lock her up, lock yep. her up about holding Hillary accountable. And then two weeks after the election, he said, "Never mind that I said that," and let her off the hook. And so I think if you look at, and I, I give him credit, even though you know we're competing uh, for, for the great things he did do, but one of the things he did not do was drain the swamp. I mean, the swamp got worse uh, in his four years, and you had people like Ray, you had people in power uh, who were not getting the job done. You got to take very swift action, and you got to make it happen. This DeSantis guy is such a politician, such a sleaze bag, and I'll tell you why. They they bring up this is a talking point from the Never Trumpers. They always bring up Christopher Ray because Christopher Ray is a well, he's he's slime. FBI director, right? Replace Comey. Well, Donald Trump nominated Christopher Ray in 2017 in like June, okay? And the Senate has to approve the nomination. Right? So Ron DeSantis and never Trumpers and other Republicans are saying that because Donald Trump nominated Ray, right. And because Donald Trump didn't abruptly fire Ray, that's evidence that he's not serious about draining the swamp and wouldn't do it. Christopher Ray was approved in a 92 to five vote in the Senate. And not a single Republican voted against Ray. The only people who voted against Ray's nomination were Democrats. I thought for a moment that maybe Rand Paul might have opposed it. But I I don't remember now. But the point is, pretty much unanimously, Republicans voted in favor of Ray. And by the way, it was the same Republicans who eagerly have you know, voted or supported sending hundreds of millions, well, billions of dollars even, obviously to uh, Ukraine, they're the same people who obstructed Donald Trump from building the wall. We wouldn't know the deep state existed were it not for Trump's presidency. And for Ron DeSantis to sit there when he's got a supermajority in the House and Senate in his own state, to say that, oh, I would have just swiftly fired this. I would have gotten rid of Fauci. I would have gotten rid of. You know what happened when Donald Trump actually tried to get rid of Ray? His attorney general, Bill Barr, threatened to resign. So, I don't want to hear this crap about the deep state. Donald Trump didn't he didn't get rid of the deep state. He didn't drain this. How was he supposed to drain the swamp when Republicans were obstructing him and were part of the swamp? What was Donald Trump supposed to do? And what were you doing, Ron DeSantis, while Donald Trump was being dragged through the mud about Trump-Russia collusion? Well, you quickly dropped out of, the, out of Congress because you sought an opportunity to improve yourself and run for governor in Florida. You bailed on Congress. So I'm tired of it. There are legitimate you know, problems Nobody's perfect, but this is just a disgusting, despicable blow. And it's not true. And Ron DeSantis, all the people backing him, I mean, I told you his top money guy, the person who's given him the most money period, closed his wallet and said, I'm not giving you any more money until you become a moderate. You need to win over independence and you need to g- get away from these abortion issues, right? So these are the people that are running DeSantis's campaign. They're not conservatives. They're a bunch of rhinos. They're a bunch of moderates. They're the Mitt Romney Bush people. That is who is running. And maybe that's where he went wrong. Maybe DeSantis is an inherently decent guy and he just has been sabotaged by poor personnel decisions, right? That's what they accuse Trump of, poor personnel decisions. And yet the people surrounding DeSantis has effectively run his campaign into the ground. I mean, Chris Christie surpassed him. Chris Christie? And here's the other thing. So after this latest indictment, here's Desantis's, you know, pre-approved response. It's the same kind of crap we've gotten from him in the past. So I haven't had a chance to read it all, he says about the indictment. But I will tell you, Atlanta has huge problems with crime right now. And there's been an approach to crime which has been less than exacting. I think there have been criminals that have been let out that shouldn't have been let out. And so they're now doing an inordinate amount of resources to try to shoehorn this contest over the 2020 election into a RICO statute, which was really designed to be able to go after organized crime, not necessarily to go after political activity. And so I think it's an example of this criminalization of politics. I don't think that this is something that's good for the country. That, that's his big statement. I mean, he goes on, but he doesn't say anything stronger than that. He doesn't mention Donald Trump one time. He says, yeah, I'd I'd change the FBI. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. We're in a civil war crisis right now, a constitutional crisis in America. And DeSantis, the best he can say is, yeah, I think this is an example of this criminalization of politics. And I don't think it's something, not something that's good for the, it's not just something, I mean, this DeSantis is no Lincoln. He's no Lincoln. Now, cue up, uh, cut three, Captain. This is like a two-minute clip. I want you to hear it all. It's a mash. I didn't put it together. But this tells you the whole story. The I'm going to tell you what's going to happen now. The Democrats are going to either find, manufacture. They're certainly going to highlight stories now of some evidence of threats against uh these these judges these partisan hack judges that are trying to rubber stamp and fast track Donald Trump in a prison right so these people are putting us in a constitutional crisis because they're lawless and now democrats are going to try and silence you and me and keep us from talking about this unlawfulness by putting stories out there that convince us that, oh maybe we shouldn't say this because it's gonna result in violence against the left. This is a strategy that the Democrats are using. Be aware of it. And this is why I say principles is so important. Just keep the North Star. It doesn't matter if there is an ad, even if, if there is an instance that goes against what you personally would do. It doesn't change what our integrity and our principles are. We don't abandon it because someone else got caught doing something wrong. But my point is, do you remember with Whitmer, right? There was the kidnapping plot, right? They were trying to paint MAGA and right-wingers as domestic terrorists. And so the FBI hatched a plan. It was ordered by Democrats to infiltrate this group of individuals in Michigan and give them the idea to hatch a kidnapping. So the FBI came up with a kidnapping plot. They recruited other people to come on board with them. It was entrapment, right? But you're going to hear this whole process play out. This is what the Democrats are doing. This is what they would do in other countries to try and overthrow governments, right? False flag operations. So you're going to hear Joe Biden in the very beginning make the announcement that this has happened before it's even been announced. He'll say, later tonight in the news, you're going to hear this story about what I just told you. And you'll hear it play out until the end when the news actually uncovers that the FBI was behind it. Play cut three, Captain. Go. This is terrifying.
0: One point the president tweeted there was a need to liberate Michigan. His own FBI director recently testified to Congress that extreme white right-wing groups, white nationalists, pose the greatest threat to racially motivated domestic terrorism saw what happened today, the FBI arrested a group of militiamen who had a plan to go in and to kidnap the governor of Michigan. You'll see it in the news tonight. Earlier today, Attorney General Dana Nessel was joined by officials from the Department of Justice and the FBI to announce state and federal charges against 13 members of two militia groups who are preparing to kidnap and possibly kill me.
2: We begin tonight with that alleged terror plot and the chilling plan. The FBI says it stopped before it could be carried out.
0: These guys are hatching violent and deranged schemes like the one against Governor Whitmer that the FBI and local law enforcement uncovered and stopped last week. You know, it's a sort of behavior you might expect from ISIS. It's the sort of behavior you might expect from ISIS. The failure to condemn these folks is stunning. And refused to condemn white supremacists and hate groups like these two Michigan militia groups. We're grateful to the FBI and law enforcement to discover these domestic terrorists
1: and stop them.
0: Thank you to the fearless FBI agents.
1: BC News. A federal jury failed to convict four men accused of plotting to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Paid FBI informants were also
2: the ones to come up with the plan. The FBI and informants led the entire way with ideas, with training, and constant encouragement. Undercover FBI agents constantly contacted them and encouraged them to launch a violent attack. Informants coming up with plans and encouraging plans is illegal. One of the undercover informants told him to go with this plan to other groups in other states to attack other governors.
1: Do you understand what's happened to our country? And my point here is we know what the playbook of the despot is, right? They're going to gaslight. They're going to project. Their job is to perpetuate this narrative that is false, that you're violent, that you're a threat to democracy, and they wanna create these instances that convince you not only that that's true, but to be quiet, to abandon the fight, to beat you down into submission, right? So my point is the Democrats are going to call you and me insurrectionists. They're gonna call us racist. They're gonna call us white supremacists. They're gonna do these things whether we are involved in these types of actions or not. So don't become some kind of like quiet, silent, fearful person because the outcome's not gonna change. My point is here you have the FBI illegally, illegally trying to inspire a kidnapping plot to serve the Democrat Party and their narrative that we're worse than ISIS. They're setting this up. And this is what they did on January 6th. The same FBI that was behind the Whitmer kidnapping plot is the same FBI that was involved in the J6, quote-unquote, insurrection. Another false flag. They were there coordinating, embedded in these different... Uh, Proud Boys and so on and so forth for long lengths of time trying to create that situation so they could take it and do what? Use it to justify This top-down authoritarian government that they're installing over us So ignore it they're the monsters they're the despots they're the criminals you're not We just got to grow some cojones Uh, well, I'm not going to have time to do this whole thing, I guess. I've talked a lot over the last several months about this wonderful speech that I've implored you to read called the Lyceum Address given by Abraham Lincoln on January 27th, 1838. He was a nobody. He was a state legislator, right? Lincoln was at this time. No, no concept of him becoming president at this point, but he was talking about the Civil War. And I want to read some of this to you. This is what Lincoln told this group of young men in Springfield, Illinois, warning them. And it's called the Perpetuation of Our Political Institutions. In the great journal of things happening under the sun, we the American people find our account running under date of the 19th century of the Christian era. We find ourselves in the peaceful possession of the fairest portion of the earth as regards extent of territory, fertility of soil and salubrity of climate, we find ourselves under the government of a system of political institutions conducing more essentially to the ends of civil and religious liberty than any of which the history of former times tells us. We, when mounting the stage of existence, found ourselves the legal inheritors of these fundamental blessings. We toiled not in the acquirement or establishment of them. They are a legacy bequeathed us by a once hardy, brave, and patriotic, but now lamented and departed race of ancestors. Theirs was the task, and nobly they performed it, to possess themselves and through themselves us of this goodly land, and to uprear upon its hills and its valleys a political edifice of liberty and equal rights. Tis ours only to transmit these, the former, unprofaned by the foot of an invader, the latter undecayed by the lapse of time and untorn by usurpation to the latest generation that fate shall permit the world to know. This task of gratitude to our fathers, justice to ourselves, duty to posterity, and love for our species in general all imperatively require us faithfully to perform. He's saying that this inheritance that we have, we didn't toil for it. It was given to us by the blood of our ancestors. And it's our job to see that this goes to the latest generation it possibly can, right? But he says, he asked the question, how shall we perform it, right? What do we do? How do we transmit this to our ancestors, to our posterity? And he says, at what point shall we expect the approach of danger? By what means shall we fortify against it? Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to step the ocean and crush us at a blow? Never, Lincoln says. All the enemies of Europe, Asia and Africa combined with all the treasure of the earth, our own ex- accepted in their military chest with a Bonaparte for a commander could not by force take a drink from the Ohio or make a track on the Blue Ridge in a trial of a 1,000 years. At what point then is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer, Lincoln says, if it ever reach us, it must spring up amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of freemen, we must live through all time or die by suicide. And that's what we're looking at right now. Here's what he talks about. I hope I'm overweary, but if I'm not, there is, even now, something of ill omen amongst us. I mean the increasing disregard for law which pervades the country. The growing disposition to substitute the wild and furious passions in lieu of the sober judgment of courts and the worse than savage mobs for the executive ministers of justice. This disposition is awfully fearful in any community and that it now exists in ours, though grating to our feelings to admit it would be a violation of truth and an insult to our intelligence to deny. He's talking about mob rule. People not abiding by the law. And he says, he goes on, he relates, okay, what is this mob rule, right? This irreverence for the constitution, irreverence for the law. What does it have to do with our political institutions? And he says, okay, but you are perhaps ready to ask, what has this to do with the perpetuation of our political institutions? I answer, it has much to do with it. Its direct consequences are, comparatively speaking, but a small evil. And much of its danger consists in the proneness of our minds to regard its direct as its only consequences. Abstractly considered, he says, the hanging of the gamblers at Vicksburg was of but little consequence. A mob hung these gamblers, okay? They didn't go through the law. A mob did it. That's what he's referring to. He said they constitute these gamblers a portion of the population that is worse than useless in any community. And their death, if no pernicious example be set by it, is never a matter of reasonable regret with anyone. But he goes on to say by such examples, by instances of the perpetrators of such acts going unpunished, the lawless in spirit are encouraged to become lawless in practice. And having been used to no restraint but dread of punishment, they thus become absolutely unrestrained. Having ever regarded the government as their deadliest bane, they make a jubilee of the suspension of its operations and pray for nothing so much as its total annihilation. While on the other hand, good men, men who love tranquility, who desire to abide by the laws and enjoy their benefits, who would gladly spill their blood in the defense of their country, seeing their property destroyed, their families insulted and their lives endangered, their persons injured and seeing nothing in prospect that forebodes a change for the better, become tired of and disgusted with a government that offers them no protection and are not much averse to a change in which they imagine they have nothing to lose. That's where we're headed. I'll leave that there for now and we'll come back to it in another episode. But I just want you to understand that that's where we're going right now. We have a lawless government. We have a government that is not only not coming to our defense, but is actually the aggressor and the oppressor. And the consent of the governed is the only thing that holds this country together. We agree to abide by the law because we believe we should, because we trust the government. We believe in the virtue of our government, right? We believe that we need a government. But when the people no longer have an attachment to the government because they see what the government's become, Why pay taxes? Why abide by any laws? Why not kill your neighbor in the street? I know that's an extreme example. but I'm just saying at some point, no laws matter anymore. You have nothing to lose anymore. And you have anarchy. And he said this 20 years before the civil war. Sure enough, we hit it. All right. This is Drew Allen, your millennial minister of truth. God bless you all. This is probably the last episode this week. I'll be back with you next week. And uh, until next time, my friends.
0: Talk to my friend, Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. has i conservative. into this guy for wisdom.